Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 6. The text is also printed in the bulletin. Matthew 6, we'll look at uh, verses 9 through 12, and then 14 and 15. So let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Even though sometimes it's very hard for us to hear, we thank you because we know that you're using your word in our lives for our good. We pray that you would use it this morning to uh, draw us closer to yourself, to shower us with your grace, and to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So if you've been around church uh, long enough, um, you'll have discovered that we're not perfect, right? We're not perfect around here. Uh, In fact, it seems like there's always something bad going on, some kind of uh, moral failure with someone or uh, conflict between people or scandal or drama of some sort or other. Opportunities for confession of sin, opportunities for forgiveness, opportunities for redemption abound, don't they? Um, A friend of mine um, in another city called me once to uh, ask for prayer for his marriage. His his wife had been telling him for years that she was concerned about his apparent um, emotional distance, lack of affection. And um, my friend admitted to me that he'd been sort of flying on autopilot, right? Um, that he hadn't been paying enough attention to her concerns. She'd, she'd bring something up. This was kind of the pattern. She'd bring, bring something up, and he'd make a little effort, and he'd promise to change, and he'd uh, do well for a short while, but then he'd slip back into the old habits again. Sound familiar? Um, well, but he thought everything was fine. No big deal, right? It's not that important, Um, but things weren't fine. After 10 years or so of uh, those kinds of cycles, um, it it sort of wears on you, and she had started to doubt that he was taking very seriously the concerns that she was expressing about their marriage. Um, To her, my friend's actions were demonstrating that he didn't really love her. And that hurt, right? You can imagine. So she told him um, how hurt and, and confused she was and that she wasn't sure that she could really get past it this time. Um, needless to say, my friend suddenly became very concerned and assured her that he would do uh, whatever it takes to make things right. But something had hardened up inside of her. And, and he could feel it. He could sense that. She wasn't forgiving him this time. And that left him kind of stuck because he couldn't just fix everything by getting his act together. Right? Even if uh, it was all genuine repentance and change on his part, 
couldn't fix it because she just wasn't playing anymore. Right? She wasn't forgiving him. Now, in, in human relationships like this, you've, you've always got sin flying around in every direction. We are, by default, uh, selfish creatures who don't consider others as we should. So sometimes our expectations for our relationships are all wrong. Uh, sometimes when people let us down, we... Um, exaggerate what that means to us, or we lash back at them in anger, and relational problems just become compounded by sin after sin against each other, right? Uh, so reconciliation is always going to be more complex than just one person forgiving another person and everyone living happily ever after. Um, it's like that with uh, my friends <clears throat> outside the church, and it's like that with many of you in this church. Right? Uh, several of our marriages are doing pretty badly for a host of reasons. There's conflict between parents and children. There's tension between friends. Maybe you've got some kind of a beef with me. I think we'd all have to be pretty naive to think that that wasn't the case, right? Um, And probably in order for there to be real restoration of these relationships, a whole lot of things need to be addressed and people need to change in big ways. But I'll tell you what is the insurmountable obstacle in these problems is the lack of forgiveness. It's the insurmountable obstacle in these problems. If you are unwilling to forgive someone who has wronged you, who has hurt you, then that relationship is lost. And there's nothing anyone can do about that. Alternatively, if you can find the will to forgive, then that is the key to unlock and throw wide uh, open any door to reconciliation. When you're dealing with sinful human beings, without forgiveness, there is no hope for lasting relationships. But with forgiveness, there is no brokenness that cannot be healed. There is no relational hurt that can't be healed. So, um, as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ... We are meant to be people that spread redemption in all of our relationships. And that's what's happening in this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, The language here is confusing, I think, uh, to a lot of us. It might sound to you like Jesus is teaching that your forgiveness of other people is a prerequisite for God's forgiveness of you, as if he were saying, Uh, Forgive us our debts because we have forgiven others. That's not what he says. Um, It's not what he's saying. He's saying that people who know their need of receiving forgiveness from God will always be the type of people who will also extend forgiveness to other people. Ultimately. Your forgiveness of others is not a prerequisite for God's forgiveness. Um... It's a necessary consequence of God's forgiveness. And that makes your forgiveness of others a a very big deal. It's a very big deal. In fact, uh, there are several things that God talks about in the same way as this, uh, that if you don't demonstrate evidence of God's work in your life in these ways, then maybe that's because God hasn't been working in your life. Uh, He says... Uh, in the scriptures say you have to love your fellow Christian, right? Love your brother. Love for a fellow Christian is a necessary consequence of God's love for you. 
And if you don't show your love to your fellow Christian, then God says you don't understand his love for you. And compassion toward those in need is a necessary consequence of God's mercy working in your life. Right? If you don't show compassion to those who are in need, then God says you don't understand his mercy to you. So God's love, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness have to make a difference in your life that you would become loving, that you would become merciful, that you would become forgiving. And this is not optional. Right? Um, the language in the scripture is pretty strong, and it's a command for us. Right? This is how the Apostle Paul puts it regarding uh, forgiveness. In Ephesians 4, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He says it uh, again in Colossians 3, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You must also forgive. Right? This is tremendously difficult. There are a lot of commands in the scriptures that seem easier than this sometimes, but here God is telling us to take the pain when people hurt us. Right? When people oppress us, when people afflict uh, us, when they inflict pain upon us, they steal from us, they slander us, they cheat on us. God commands us to forgive, and that's a very big deal. Um, World Harvest Mission came out with a, a little um, booklet, kind of a workbook that's uh, really great to work through. It's called The Gospel-Centered Life. And this is a quote from that. I think it's in the beginning of your bulletin also. It says, forgiveness is costly. It means canceling a debt when we feel we have every right to demand payment. It means absorbing the pain, hurt, shame, and grief of someone's sin against us. It's no small deal. I mean, this is crazy, right? When people hurt us, they're doing something bad. They're doing something they should not do. Something that we cannot condone. Something that we consider not just malicious, but unjust, unrighteous, unholy, right? And when the Bible says that you need to forgive people who do those things to you, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of therapists in the world would consider that to be really bad advice. can't just forgive people when they've really done something wrong. But God commands it, and he takes it further than just advice, right? He doesn't just think that this is the behavior of a, uh, a healthy, well-adjusted person to be forgiving. Uh, he commands you to forgive. And that means it's actually a sin for you not to forgive. And that's heavy. And here's how Jesus puts it. Um, in another place, uh, in Matthew 18, he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. So let's uh, turn there if you've got a Bible, because it's, um, it's really fascinating. Matthew 18, <clears throat> starting in verse 21, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I think Peter thought he was going above and beyond the call of duty here because uh, the rabbis generally taught if you forgive someone three times, that's complete. You know, uh, you're doing really well to forgive someone three times. So Peter says seven times, the number of perfection, right? Uh, the number of completion. 
seven times, Lord. I'm trying to impress him by showing how forgiving I am. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So just every time, every time someone sins against you, you're to forgive them. Therefore, and then he tells this parable, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is like $6 billion. Somebody owes the king $6 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You don't have to pay it back. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is like $10,000. So it's not chump change, right? This is something somebody owes him. It's a fairly big deal. It's not $6 billion. Pretty big deal. He found him, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <clears throat> so this is radical. I mean, Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is that when someone has really actually hurt you, when you know that they have a real debt, not just an imagined one and not just a small one, that's just easy to overlook, and if you refuse to forgive them, then you can't stand there and tell Jesus that you're a Christian. If you hold on to the poison of bitterness and resentment, if you persist in gossip and slander and malicious thoughts about someone, then you're showing that God's forgiveness doesn't mean to you what Jesus says it should mean to you. Lloyd-Jones says in his commentary on this passage that the proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. If you're refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest that you have never been forgiven. So That's what it means when Jesus says in verse uh, 14 and 15 of our passage this morning, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so when someone's violated you and you harbor a grudge, you might just feel like you're holding on to your right to be angry. 
that it's justice. It's righteous anger in your heart to feel this way. But God says it's not justice, it's it's not righteousness to continue with bitterness. It's sin. A lack of forgiveness is sin because God has commanded you to forgive. It's an ugly, destructive sin that leads to the disintegration of all of our relationships. It leads to other sins like gossip and murder. If your heart isn't soft towards others, even, even those who have really wronged you, maybe you need to consider that that's a testimony that your heart hasn't been melted by God's grace to you. When we refuse to forgive, sometimes we're believing that the other is worse than we are, right? that their sin is worse than ours, that somehow we have a right to forgiveness, but they don't. No one ever deserves to be forgiven. The Christian can never ultimately and absolutely refuse to forgive. That is not to say that it's not very difficult to forgive sometimes. Just because it's uh, commanded, just because it's required of you, it does not make it easy. That's why we need to pray, because we cannot do this on our own. Uh, Augustine said, Oh God, command what you will and give what you command. So how do we pray? How can we forgive people who have caused us to suffer? How does God answer this prayer and work forgiveness for other people into our hearts? It happens as we're given a clearer vision of God's holiness a truer understanding of our own unholiness and therefore a greater appreciation for God's forgiveness in the gospel. So God is holy. God is holy. He doesn't forgive you because he doesn't think you've done much wrong. He doesn't think that what you've done is that bad. He doesn't forgive you because he's unconcerned with things like injustice or immorality, hatred, rebellion against him. He doesn't forgive you with a wink like some kind grandfatherly figure might. He doesn't slap you on the back and say, hey, bygones. God is gloriously holy, utterly beyond comparison with any other being. His thoughts and actions are pure in every way, perfect in every way. So it is said that he is a consuming fire. Even the holy angels in heaven can't stand in his presence. Even they can't look upon him in his holiness. And we don't even pause to think about him when we sin. We don't even pause to reflect on his holiness when we rebel against him. We break his law. We wish he didn't exist. We just plain ignore him, which has got to be the greatest slight to the most glorious being in the universe. God is gloriously holy and we ignore him. We have a real debt to pay, which means that we're liable to punishment. Right? The penalty for our sins is death. We deserve eternal death by God, by consuming fire. And God absolutely moves out in ferocious, righteous wrath against sin. 
He absolutely moves out in anger against sin. But at the cross, Jesus stepped in to intercept that anger in our place. Jesus paid the whole debt we owed. And now it's gone from us forever. We're forgiven not just by a kind word. We're forgiven through the sacrifice of God's beloved Son in our place. It caused great pain to God to absorb the relational pain that we've inflicted upon him, to forgive us. And this is basic Christianity, to pray this petition of the Lord's Prayer and to beg God to forgive your debts. If you've never done that, you need to do that. You need to talk to any Christian that's in this room about that if you want to know more about that. But once you truly know what it means to be forgiven by God, once the great mercy of the cross has melted your heart, then you will forgive others who have injured you. Even if it's hard, you will forgive them. John Stott um, said, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. So this petition, forgive us our debts, it's a confession of sin. We have debts. We're acknowledging our need for our forgiveness. And this petition is a confession of faith, trusting in God's mercy to us through the cross of Christ. He's the one who's going to forgive our debts. And this petition is a pledge to follow Jesus, to reflect God's grace to others. We reflect his nature as a child uh, reflects the nature of his father. The more amazing the father, the more the child longs to imitate the father. Right? So C.S. Lewis said, um, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And this is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single person great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To refuse to forgive is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. So if you don't want to imitate God's forgiveness, then maybe you don't have the relationship with him that you thought you did. Maybe you're not connected to his forgiveness. Maybe you haven't experienced it like you should. If it's not leading you to desire to imitate his forgiveness, you need to have that connection. You need to pray. You need to pray this prayer. And this petition is a prayer for God's help to forgive, right? To grow that forgiveness in us, for him to enable us to exalt his grace by our imitation of it. So we pray, Lord, let me know your forgiveness in a way that I would radiate it. You can't just radiate forgiveness. You can't just emanate it on, our, on your own. You need to pray. It takes a lot of prayer and a lot of time uh, sometimes to forgive some hurts. And things you thought you worked through um, sometimes pop back up. But if, if you've been horribly sinned against, you might have a little better insight into what we all did to Jesus, into what it means that God forgave you. 
And prayer is the first step of our forgiveness. It's the big step. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, um, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. So we need to pray like this. Father, forgive me. I've done the inexcusable, but somehow you promise complete forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, your son. I rest on his sacrifice alone for my forgiveness, my reconciliation to you. Father, I love your grace. I want to imitate it, but it's so hard for me to get over the hurts that others have done to me. Help me to appreciate more deeply the the hurt that I caused you and the great cost of my own forgiveness in the death of your beloved son. Father, I may not even know where I need to forgive people. Please show me where I'm harboring resentments and bitterness and where together you and I can do the heart work of forgiveness. Father, show me how to forgive this person. Help me to absorb the pain of this broken relationship and to open doors for reconciliation. Help this person to know your grace and mercy through me. Help me not to be condescending when I offer forgiveness, but humble in forgiveness. Um, probably all heard stories about Corey Ten Boom. As a little girl, she and her family um, helped harbor Jews uh, in the 1940s uh, Nazi Germany. <clears throat> and she said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free. And then you may discover that the prisoner was you. She'd been horribly sinned against, concentration camps. And there was a time uh, where she was speaking publicly when um, one of the guards who inflicted pain upon her came to her and asked for forgiveness. To forgive is to set a prisoner free, and you may discover that the prisoner was you. It was hard for her to offer true forgiveness. But by God's grace, she did. So my, uh, my friend called me back a few weeks after that initial phone call where he was telling me uh, about his wife's uh, seeming unforgiveness. He wanted to give me an update. Their church had been disciplining another family uh, because that family refused to forgive certain other people in the church. This family had uh, held this grudge for years despite being asked to forgive, and this grudge had warped them and made them bitter and resentful and self-righteous toward others. So they were showing clear signs that the gospel didn't find root in them. And they refused to cooperate with the church leadership on the issue, so their names were being removed from the the church membership role. Unforgiveness is that big of a deal. So their church had discussed it at a congregational meeting uh, after worship one Sunday, and and later that afternoon, when they were at home, my friend... uh, found his wife weeping in, in their yard. And um, she was overcome with the sheer ugliness of unforgiveness that they had seen in this family. And she said she didn't want that anymore and that she forgave him. My friend told me that when she said that, he knew that they could work through any problem in their relationship. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. With forgiveness, all can be mended and healed and set right. You can only know that if 
you know God's forgiveness of you through Jesus Christ at the cross. Do you, do you need to forgive somebody? You've got to stop holding yourself hostage. You've got to cast yourself on the mercy of your Savior, and He will set you free to be able to forgive. Now let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's true of uh, many of us that um, even now we've got relationships that are broken and that need healing, that need forgiveness. And we pray that you would help us, that you would initiate true healing and true forgiveness and true peace in those relationships. Convince us of the, the glory of your grace toward us so that we cannot help but be melted toward other people, even if they've sinned against us grievously, even if they've hurt us and we're hurting desperately. We pray that you would help us to forgive, help us to imitate you. And in doing so, would you make your grace a beautiful and pleasant aroma to all those around us, to the glory of your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.